Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Amen. Uh, Well, we're in the fifth part of our Try This at Home series, and because we want you to try this at home. And uh, again, the reason we say try this at home is because it goes ahead and gives permission for us to maybe not do it perfectly, to maybe do things awkwardly. We, we have a, a phrase that, that surfaces around here um, of embrace the awkward uh, because anytime you do something for the first time or you step out into something, uh, it's awkward, it's weird, but we'll never begin to grow if we're always super self-conscious about some of the awkwardness um, in doing new things. And so we just got to embrace the awkward where it's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little strange, but that's okay. Um, it's something that the Spirit of God is leading us in and growing us in, and so we want to do that. So this try this at home is, is this thing that these are things we ought to be doing in our, in our homes, in our, in our house, because when it's all said and done, as if you're following in your notes, whether you, however you access them, um, that if we're truly going to grow in knowing God better and in trusting Him more, then we're going to have to do this at home. Home should be the base for all of our spiritual growth. Um, I know it, it can feel like maybe church is that, but church is not that. We are a help. We're a help. Um, every church should be a help to the people who connect with it for them to be able to grow in their own space. You know, we're here to, to help you to learn and, and to connect with other believers and, and to have relationships that help throughout the week. But home should be the base for all of our spiritual growth. And we've been looking at John chapter 15, verse 4. says, Abide in me uh, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Well, again, I have love this word abide. We've chosen this translation on purpose because abide is a little bit different of a word. We don't use it all the time. And so, and it carries a, a little bit different punch than just the word live. Um, we, we use the word live all the time, but abide is very purposeful. It's very intentional. Um, it's this idea that we're going to make our lives in Jesus. And if we're going to make our lives in Jesus, then we're certainly going to have to invite him into the space of our home. And today... Um, we're going to be looking at the concept of worship at home. We just had uh, a time of worship together. Worship is my favorite part of, of any kind of gathering where there's worship. And so I love worship. I am not talented in that area at all. Uh, my voice is not lovely. It is not good. I will hit a note every once in a while by accident. And so every once in a while, somebody will go, hey, that, that was on. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that was possible to come out of my vocal cords. I can't replicate it. I can't do it again. I've tried to play the guitar. I've tried to do some things to be able to participate. My rhythm isn't that good. Just me, even me on a bongo is not that helpful. And so, but I love, I love worship. In fact, early on, I had to, to learn uh, to be able to just 
to just worship fully and, and not be self-conscious about the fact that maybe other people aren't enjoying it. And, um, and in fact, one of, one of our really good friends, she was with us last week. Um, she came in for, for the wedding, for Weston's wedding. And um, her dad was on pastoral staff whenever I was first coming up in ministry, and he sat right in front of me. And Pastor Terry, he, he spoke for, for us not that long ago. Pastor Terry's awesome. We, we, call him, we call him the, you know, the church gangster man. He wears his fedora, the little bit of rakish style, and he comes up here and blows it up. Pastor Terry's awesome. And, uh, but whenever uh, he, he sat right in front of me during worship, man, and I just worship full out. And um, bad notes, all of it. And so we would, you'd see him standing in front of me, and he would be sitting there worshiping, and then every once in a while he'd go. <laughs> and so I thought I just had to just pay, not pay attention to him whatsoever because he's like, man, if there was a gong show, man, he'd have gonged me off. If there was some sort of buzzer to make kick me out of the room, he'd have hit the buzzer. And so, and, and there was this little short little point of tension that, a man, I began to want to sit there and pull it back. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that I wasn't there to please Pastor Terry. I, I love Pastor Terry, and I hate it that I was doing it. He'd mess with me after service. Like, he's, like, he's like, Brandon, you're, you're messing with my anointing. I was like, man, you need to get a stronger anointing because I'm going to worship. And so... And, and I'm just going to do this. And bad notes and screeches and whatever. My, I, that's why mostly I hoot and holler because that's what I can do. I can, woo, I can do that. And um, the Bible says a joyful noise. And I got some joyful and I got some noise. And so, but that I had to learn to not be self-conscious about it. My worship is still awkward. I'm on the front row for a reason. Not because it's easy access, but because none of you want me behind you. And so you're like, no, stick him up there. Keep him away from the mics. Um, and so, but I love to worship. I love to do that. And, but it's something I've had to learn to grow into because it's not my natural gifting. I'm still no good at it. Nobody wants me on their team. But it is one of these things that it is so helpful for me just as a child of God, that I can't not worship. I can't not do it. It is detrimental for me if I don't worship. And so one of the things we're going to get into here is, is just some of the things I have learned as a worshiper and to, to connect with that and to, to do that, to, to maybe help you, to maybe free you up so you can try this at home. Um, one of the reasons why we, we try to run our volume a little louder than maybe some of you might like it. Some of you are like, Pastor, it's not quite loud enough. And so some of you want it like, mm, like let's get it. I want to fill the bass. I want it to like help my digestion as it rolls everything around in there. And so, um, you know, and other people are like, where's the earplugs? And so, but one of the reasons why we keep the volume up a little bit it's because we understand that a lot of people are, are, feel about their voice like I feel about mine. And if you can hear the person next to you, you know the person next to you can hear you. And so we worship like this. We're sitting here. Like, all right. And so when really we're supposed to, to, to go ahead and worship out. And so we've got to make sure because the, the truth is, is, is worship at, at its core. It's about us recognizing 
that God is the source of life and he's worthy of our thanks and our praise and our, de- and our devotion. Um, and it's not just about him, it's for us. It helps recalibrate us. Worship recalibrates us. It, it helps put us in an active point of remembrance of why we connect with him, why we are relying on him. And we have to do that because it's so easy for us to gravitate towards just scrapping for things ourselves instead of living in the abundance of our Heavenly Father. Because, man, the world can seem like a place where you just got to scrap it out. And, uh, and thankfully, there was, uh, I had a, a moment years ago when I was uh, about 10 or 11 years old there as a kid in my, my parents' house. And uh, it was, uh, my dad was home and my dad had, had gone to the cupboard he got a bag of Doritos. And this was back when Doritos were in a yellow bag and they did not have any cheese on them. And so they were just tortilla chips. They were good and they were salty and they were good, good tortilla chips. And so he got the bag of Doritos and he puts it on a, on, a, on a dish and he gets some cheese and he makes some nachos and he has the nachos. And I see my dad's nachos and then I'm like, I want some nachos. And I go to the cupboard and I find no chips. There's no chips. My dad's sitting there about to eat the, the, the nachos, and I want the nachos. So I'm like, Dad, I'll buy those nachos from you for a dollar. And so he's sitting there and looking at them, and it was, the, it was the remnant of the bag. It was the last of the bag. And it's not, when it's the end of the bag, it is just those little bitty, little bitty crumbs. And the only reason there was a chip is because the cheese glued the crumbs together to create a chip. There weren't real chips. It was chip bits held together with cheese. And so, and I was like, but man, I want those. I will take the crumbs. I will take that and I'll pay you a dollar for it. So my dad's like, all right, here you go. Give me the dollar. So I go to my room, I scrounge, I find a dollar, I bring it to my dad, I buy the nachos in my own house for a dollar. And then my dad goes to the cupboard and he moves something, something I still don't understand as a grown man, that if you're looking for something, you have to move items. And so he moved something, and he found a brand-new, fresh bag of Doritos. Boom, pops that. little bit of Dorito magic flies out of the top. A little dust and crinkle. And he takes big chips, whole chips. Fresh chips, puts them on a plate, puts the cheese on there, sits there and is eating them, and I have my little crumbs, and it's sad. And I'm like, Dad, I want my dollar back. That's not fair. And he's like, chump, these are mine. And, and, uh, and he would not give me my dollar back. Actually, I think my mom made him give me my dollar back. But it was one of those things that those Doritos were all, those, those Doritos, those chips, everything that I needed to have exactly what I was desiring. Not something that was reminiscent of it, not some little in crumbs, but everything that he was already in my father's house. They were already there. And then sit there because of my own shortcomings, my own whatever, I found myself in a place that I was willing to pay for something that was already mine just to get some crumbs of something. Just to get some crumbs. 
And folks, you and I as Christians, we will, if we don't come back to a place of remembering, and worship gets us to actively remember who our Heavenly Father is and what He's done, we will find ourselves trying to pay for something that's already ours just to get a few little crumbs to get through the day whenever He's already provided it. And that worship is a reset. That worship is a remembrance. That you know what? I serve a big God. I serve a God who cares. What a, what a powerful name it is. Listen, Jesus isn't just like another name. It's a powerful name. And we, we begin to understand that he's a God who's provided. He's a God who's active. He's a God who cares in that moment of worship because we get disconnected from that and we'll begin to feel like we have to scrap through life and we'll begin to spend our lives on something that's already been given and already been provided for us. We have to stay focused because, see, worship keeps us focused on heavenly things because there's a natural drift away from that. There's just natural drift from it. And we, sometimes we have to be reminded to just focus on things. Um, when Brooklyn was about five years old, um, we, were, we seemed to be constantly in some sort of remodel. That's just, uh, just apparently like that. And so um, we were constantly in some sort of remodel. And so Cutie and I and the kids, we had spent the whole day at Lowe's. We were picking out stuff. We were redoing our house. And, uh, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines make it look like it's the greatest thing ever to remodel and do that. No, behind the scenes, Chip and Joanna Gaines are punching each other. <laughs> They're like, mm, this is going to. He's like, I'm done with shiplap, woman. I hate shiplap. Let's forget the shiplap. She's like, you're doing a shiplap, and you're going to like it. And so and they're going at each other, and then they put the makeup on the black eyes, and they get back on the screen, and they make it look like it's all fun and games. But I'm telling you, reno is war. That is what it's really like in life. And so Cutie and I were in the middle of reno war, and we were arguing over colors and fixtures and all of these different things and budget. I'm like, look, lady, the $29.95 light is going to work. We don't need the $1,000 light fixture. This one turns on. It will make the light work. And so and uh, so, just all of the different stuff going back and forth, and we'd had a stressful day, and then it was time to have dinner. So we're sitting at the dinner table, and that stress had just spilled over. And so we're having a family dinner, and it's just spilling over, and, and you could just feel the tension in the space. A little five-year-old Brooklyn notices and is done with it. And she finally pipes up. She says, um, why don't we all just say what we're thankful for? <laughs> and in that moment, all of a sudden, when we began to talk about what we were thankful for, we were still just had issues to deal with on what paint color we were going to finally land on and what we were going to do on this and that. But as we begin to get off of the problems and on to what we were gr grateful for, the rest of the evening completely transformed. It completely transformed. And sometimes life will just begin to shift us and carry us off. And we need to get our minds set back on heavenly things Folks, you and I are citizens of heaven as believers, as child of God. That's where our real home is. Yes, we have an assignment here. Yes, we have things to do here. But we can only do it with our eyes on heaven. We begin to scrounge around on this earth, and, and, and we're going to end up wrong. Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 1, he says, Since you've been raised to new life, 
with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We have to think about the things of heaven because the things of earth will simply begin to pull our focus away. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross, this agonizing place of death and, and difficulty for Jesus. He, for the joy that was set before him, he endured it. What was the joy? It was you and I being reconciled to God. That was the joy. Had he not had heaven's perspective, the cross would be unmanageable. But instead, he understood what it was to the point when Peter found out that Jesus said he was going to die. And Peter's like, no, 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 this can't happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. You need to have your mind set on the right things. And then it was that that carried Jesus through the cross. Hebrews 13, verse 14 says, For this world, it's not our home. We're looking forward to our city in heaven, which is yet to come. With Jesus' help, let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by proclaiming the glory of his name. That is what worship does. And it doesn't need to happen just in this setting. One of the reasons why worship is at the beginning of our time together. It could go anywhere. But we, we put it at the beginning. It's purposefully at the beginning. It's because um, getting here and having it isn't always easy. Um, we've got seven kids. And we know what it's like to not be able to find a sandal. We know what it's like to be able to do everything you can to just get everybody into the car and get it done. And you're like, and you're just sitting there, and if you're frustrated, and you know, and the kids are going haywire, and you're like, we're going to church and we're going to love it. <laughs> and man, and you sit there, and then you walk in, and it's tense, and somebody got the last sprinkled donut, and you see them with it, and they're a little bit smug, like they know you want it. And they ran out of the, your favorite creamer back here at our host table because Pastor Brandon forgot to order more vanilla. And, man, things just aren't going the way you kind of wanted them to go. And there's just the, the frustrations of life come in. So we come in here and we worship. And we begin to let that as we refocus on who he is. And it puts us in a place. We begin to have these conversations. We begin to talk. We begin to let the, the, God's word speak to us. It's not just for this. It's not just for for the, the hour we spend together on Sundays, it, that works all the time. You begin to get some frustration. You begin to feel like things are getting drifting out of control during the week. Man, put on some worship. Man, we worship. There's worship stuff happening in our cars. There's worship stuff playing in our homes. Not because we're pastors and I should be doing it, but because it's, it works. It transforms our environment. Worship, it also it reflects God's glory back on us remembering who he is helps us remember who we are that we're not just these people who are trying to scrape through life we're the children of God 
Or we have a God who, is a, who, is a, who is a, brings a mighty victory into our lives. Exodus 34, verse 29, it says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in Moses' hands. And, and when he came down from the mountain, and that Moses knew not that the skin of his face shone by reason of his speaking with him, of with God. Moses' face carried the glory of God on it. His, in, his encounter, him just spending time there on Mount Sinai, it affected his physical presence to the point that it was distracting for the people of Israel. He actually had to put a veil over his face because everybody just wanted to stare at it, and it was this awkward thing. And, and so, but it, it, it transformed him. And, and you and I, when we do that, we may not all of a sudden have some sort of glowing, weird, you know, lit up complexion, but we are transformed whenever we spend time with God, and it begins to reflect on us. Second Peter 1, verse 3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Folks, that's why we want you to know God better and trust him more. We, as we grow in the knowledge of him, it, it begins to transform things. It says, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We can participate in his divine nature. We can participate in it, be a part of it. The goodness of God in our lives. If you've been around this for a little while, you're, you're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, which is the, the nature of who God is, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things begin to grow in our lives. It is his divine nature showing up in us. And when we begin to worship and connect and remember that, then we can begin to say, hey, this is what life should begin to look like for us. And see, and then God will, he uses authentic worship to transform us. John chapter 4, verse 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's, that's us. That's the, us who are alive in Christ. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And then I want us to look at the connection of our worship, of our service to God in this, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, here in the, the New King James Version, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is part of the, the worship experience for the Jewish people. Um, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, or a number of translations say your reasonable act of worship. So here we've got verse one saying, present your bodies as this living sacrifice, your, your whole life as a living sacrifice, your home life, all of it, give your, your whole life as a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable act of worship. And then there's this word, this, and this, this, this thought keeps rolling in verse two, and it says, and do not be conformed to this world. So it can seem like 
we've got these two things, okay? We're supposed to let God be in, in our lives and, and connect with him and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and don't be conformed to the world. So we're doing this and avoiding that. We're doing this and avoiding that. And in the two things, then that's where we re, we're living this out, that we get the rest of this stuff. And it says, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is God's, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And it feels like that there's these two things. is this, this giving ourselves to him and resisting being conformed to this world. But there's this word here that and, that con, this conjunctive word. And I, I don't get into the Greek a whole lot, but I, I believe this is really important. And this conjunctive word and is the, is the Greek word chi. And it's used like over 9,000 times in uh, the New Testament. It's, it's the word and. It shows up a lot. Here's the thing, is the word chi is not like our word and. This word chi in the New Testament, just in the book of Romans, just in the book of Romans, that word is translated mostly and, but it's also translated um, as but and also. It's also translated as yet, then, rather, for, both, likewise. This word chi is a really rich word, a lot richer word than our word and. Mostly it's used, and that's just in the book of Romans that the word chi is used in all of those different places. But there's a spot where it is translated in the book of Romans as or else. And let's look at that right quick. Romans 2.15, it says, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves in their thoughts, accusing them or else excusing them. So it has the, their thoughts are even accusing them or they're excusing them. And so, and that's what's going on here. And that word, that same word or else is this word chi that there is this thing that you do this or else this happens. Let's go back and let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. And let's say that the, 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 the people who were translating this and put it into English put this and used this other version of Kai for us with or else. And I think it begins to make even a little more sense. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship, or else be conformed to this world. We, as the children of God, worship, or else we'll be conformed. There's one of the two things that are happening. Do you want to not be conformed to the flow of this world? Stay engaged in active worship. You don't have to worry about it. It's not this thing that I have to do this. Oh, yeah, and I have to go over and battle this. And I have to do this, and I have to battle this. No, as we are actively engaged in remembering who he is and what he's done, we won't be conformed. But if we don't, there's not another option. As we forget to who he is and what he's done, we will naturally begin to conform to the world. 
Because why? It's barking at us all the time. It's talking at us all the time. It's telling us what we should think and what we should be freaked out about and what we should look like and what we should own and what we should have and who, how we should identify ourselves. And the only answer to that continual barrage of information is the truth of who God is in our lives. It's the only answer to that continual barrage of information. And we begin to worship then, man, it begins to wash all of that other stuff, the lies, the pressure, all of that. But if we don't, we will be conformed. That's the way that flows. And so it is transformative in our lives. See, the truth is that worship changes the atmosphere of your life. It changes the atmosphere of it. It's funny that uh, driving down the road, you'll see that every car has its own little atmosphere, okay? And if you were able to pipe in to the whatever is playing on their stereo, their actions would make a lot more sense. But we're on the outside, and we don't get their music, and we just see them, the guy going down the road... And we're like, what is this guy's problem? And man, and he's got some sort of Metallica slipknot thing going on in his car. And he is just jamming out hard. And so, man, we've got sit there and we've got somebody else who's just sitting there kicking back. And man, they've got some easy listening. They're rolling. Man, we've got somebody else who's just, who's just really who's really bumping something else and having a great time. We've got somebody who has taken the corner there on Knickerbocker like it's, you know, gone in 60 seconds or the Fast and the Furious, man, and they've got something else on their radio. And if you get into their playlist, it makes sense. But watching out here, you just look like an idiot. But when you get in there, because the atmosphere in that space, it begins to make sense. Folks, all of a sudden, for them in their flow with what they're putting in their head, it works. You and I, we can change the atmosphere of our lives by beginning to engage and remember who he is and what he's done. We begin to shift, and the rest, everybody else may be on the outside going, I don't know why you're so happy. Don't you see what's going on? And you're like, man, no, I I see what's going on. I do see what's going on. I see that I've got a God who's with me and it's for me, and I'm actively remembering that I'm not in this mess alone, that he's a God who never fails. He's a God who finishes what he starts. He's a God who's with me from first to last. And even though I'm walking through the middle of something difficult, he's going to carry me all the way through. And, yes, I can smile in the middle of a place of pain. Psalm 22 says, for you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. You want Jesus to be king in your moment, he is enthroned in your praises. Your praises begin to change that environment. And here as we wrap this up, here's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures. We have Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, and they have been beaten and flogged for preaching the gospel. They're doing what they've been told by God to do, and they've been rejected and beaten severely. Very easily, they could be going, God, what is up with this? 
I thought we were going to have revival break out. I thought we were going to have awesome things happen. You told us to go preach, and we've just been beaten within an inch of our lives. And here we are in verse 22. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And, they had, and after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So here it is that they're being treated like they are like they need to be in the maximum security cell and for preaching who Jesus is. And they're in the middle of this. So the jailer's taking his job seriously. So upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell. So they're in the middle cell. They don't have a window cell. They can't see the midnight sky. They can't see anything around them. They're in the middle of it. Now you have to remember this is a this is a prison from Two millennia ago, okay? You think prisons can be rough now? This is back at Roman prison, okay? They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have a bunch of that stuff. You can only imagine the, the reek and the stink of what this inner cell in a Roman prison was like. And so they put them in the inner cell. And then on top of that, they fastened their feet in stocks. So they basically handcuff them to the ground in the middle of the inner cell. They're not going anywhere, is what they thought. It says about midnight. Okay, it's midnight, folks. They've been beaten. It's night-night time. They've had a tough day. No one would blame them for just going to sleep. And sometimes when you've had a rough day, you're just like, you know what? I'm just, forget it. I, it's been hard. You know what? Just give me my pillow. Give, give me my night-night, and I'll just sleep through this. Maybe tomorrow will be a better day. They, no one would have blamed them for being asleep right now. But it's midnight, and Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were singing in the middle of their pain. In a time when they could have been just trying to sleep it off and just trying to get through it, they were, they were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. They know the state. They knew what was going on. And then suddenly... There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking, shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas's. Everybody around them got free. Everybody. Their place of worship, their place of going in and leaning in in the middle of a really dark time when nobody would have blamed them otherwise. Man, all of a sudden, that worship began to set things free. The story goes on that ends up the jailer ends up coming to Christ. He and his whole household come to Christ. Paul and Silas end up being taken care of by the jailer's family, and they bandage their wounds, and he leads their whole home, their whole home to Jesus. Revival did break out, but it was a very different path than what they maybe would have thought. But their worship was the catalyst to see that entire the entire environment change. Man, folks, I get it. Sometimes the days are hard. I hope you never have a beaten, thrown in 
for the stocks day. But, man, sometimes some days feel like those days. But I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. Nobody will blame you for going to sleep. Nobody will blame you for just trying to figure out how to get to, to tomorrow. But I'm here today to tell you that if we will lean in and we will begin to focus on who he is and enthrone him in our praises and begin to lean into him, it will change the trajectory of that moment. It will change it. What you thought was a throwaway day was, can all of a sudden be the day that, that not just you get free, but lots of other people get free. Man, I'm telling you, God can turn things around. And so our bottom line today is remembering the goodness of God reconnects us with the goodness of God. It's there all the time. But we have to live in remembrance of it. Pastor Steve talked about last week with communion of remembering. That is one of the number one things you and I have to do as children of God is just, just keep a fresh remembrance of who he is and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Because I'm telling you, God is good. And even though life can be difficult, man, I'm telling you, he will carry us through. Folks, our home base, it should be, our home should be our base for all of our spiritual growth. That's what God is calling us to. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.